This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast today is out on the East Coast, uh, Dino Finari of Vitamin C Brewing. Welcome to the podcast, Dino. Thanks, Jamie. I really appreciate you having me. I can't wait to talk to Dino about brewing IPAs, brewing uh, fun beers like uh, stouts and pastry stouts, uh, kettle sours. They have staked out a territory for themselves in a very crowded market, uh, South Shore of Boston, surrounded by fantastic breweries, brewing fantastic beers, uh, figuring out how to launch a brewery and uh, you know carve out their own space within that uh, that very competitive marketplace is something that we are going to talk about. Um, figuring out how to iterate quality and uh, processes around beers is going to be another part of the conversation. Uh, but first, nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with G&D Chillers. Innovative modular designs and no proprietary parts propel G&D ahead as the premier choice for your glycol chilling needs. Breweries you recognize like Russian River, Nkasi, Jack's Abbey, Samuel Adams, and more trust G&D to chill the beer you love. Call G&D Chillers to discuss your project today or reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, kickstart your innovation with Old Orchard Craft Juice Concentrates. Old Orchard knows that a strategic seasonal release calendar means higher margins, increased taproom traffic, and secured shelf space for your brand. That's why they collaborate with countless breweries on product development conversations year-round. With unique flavors like watermelon, rhubarb, pineapple, and plum, the possibilities are endless. Get your Old Orchard sample kit with free six-pack cooler at www.oldorchard.com brewer. So Dino, these are some weird times for breweries, and uh, they are certainly weird times for you as a somewhat new brewery, uh, what about a year and a half, two years old now, um, trying to figure out and navigate uh, the kind of challenging world of how to sell beer to consumers, uh, despite shutdowns and you know changing consumption patterns and and everything else. Um, before we talk a little bit about that, I would love to just you know for you to walk us through that kind of arc of brewing history and how you got to where we are today. Uh, so I guess the, the it really started for me back in, I want to say about 1991 was when I first started homebrewing initially. Uh, I got one of those uh, homebrew kits that everybody I think has probably had in, 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 in throughout their history uh, sure. and started brewing at home, you know, brewed a couple batches. The beer was awful. Uh, so kind of kind of kind of uh, tabled that for a little bit and uh, and started making wine at home. And uh, and did that for about 25 years. And then probably about eight or nine years ago, kind of got back into it. Uh, One of my partners, Pete, and I had been connected through mutual friends and um, and got to try some of his beer and and really enjoyed it. And uh, just said, hey, you know, you want to start brewing? I'd love to, you know, get back into it. So uh, so he started showing up at my house uh, every Saturday and 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 we started to brew and we started with, you know, five gallon batches and. From there, went to 10-gallon batches, and then my wife threw us out of the kitchen because it was getting too big, and with the boilovers, uh, it started to get to be a mess. So we went out on the porch, um, got a burner, and I used that as an, as an opportunity to get even bigger. Uh, so I went with a, with a, a 20-gallon batch uh, you know, kettle, 
And uh, and then from there, uh, we realized that it was great until winter hit in New England. And uh, we said, well, this is really not going to be too practical to be outside. And I had a basement downstairs that really wasn't being used. So poured a slab and uh, turned it into a little brewery and uh, used that also as an opportunity to uh, invest in an electric uh, Blickman system. Um, and uh, we started with a half barrel system for that. Uh, and then actually ended up increasing it to a one barrel system, which we actually still use today as our pilot system. So, uh, like I said, it was about eight, nine years ago and then just, uh, started brewing and, and, and every Saturday we'd be there from say six in the morning till eight, nine at night, brewing different beers. And there were a couple of people that started hanging, hanging around, including my other partner, who's, uh, my brother-in-law, Josh, and, uh, and then a few of the other folks. And, um, and then we just realized that maybe we're onto something and we started to, uh, to, you know, give the beer out. We were making it and we had, you know, we can only drink so much ourselves and sure, sure. Uh, we couldn't, we couldn't, yeah, we couldn't sell it. So uh, that started the whole uh, mythology of the, uh, of the blue cooler that we had. And we would just, uh, we'd leave four packs of beer in, in, uh, in the cooler out in our, my front yard and friends would come by and pick it up. And then, from there, it just kind of compounded. I mean, they would tell their friends and their friends of friends and so on and so forth. And the next thing you know, there were people coming from all over the East Coast uh, saying they were going to be in the area. And I heard if I, you know, if I leave a four pack of beer in your cooler, I can take one of yours. And it just became this whole this whole story, which is really, really cool and, and fun. And uh, we've met some great people. And it's na- it's it's great now because having the taproom and being an, an actual open brewery to have the people that have been through the basement, if you will. Um, to see that, you know, and they see the cooler when they walk in and it, it just, it, everybody laughs. It, it's a, it's a fun story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so how did you decide to, I mean, obviously you've got people that are excited about drinking your homebrew, but that's a big step mm-hmm. to go from that to let's open a commercial brewery, especially in a market with as many breweries, uh, as many high quality breweries as Boston. Um, you know, what was the moment where you said, okay, now we've got to go pro with this thing? You know, it's weird. I, I had kind of immersed myself in the industry and I became friends with a lot of different brewers. And and it wasn't for the intention of, I want to do this to pump them for information to to open my own brewery. I mean, truly, I, I, and uh, we, you know, the, the, the intention really wasn't there to even open. And then we started to brew the beer and, it, you know, I'd, st- you know, I'd ask questions or I'd have people try beer and I'd get, you know, little tidbits of information or, you know, ways to improve. And so we would try that. And then, and, you know, it, it was like, oh, okay, this is better. And, and every batch would get a little bit better. And we entered a few contests. Uh, we won and we said, okay, well, maybe, you know, again, maybe there's something here. Um, and then we just, um, you know, kind of had a heart to heart with ourselves and said, you know, this might be something that we could follow. And, and being from the Northeast here with so many great breweries, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very intimidating because you say, well, is your product, you know, is it, is it good enough to compete with those? Um, you know, is it something that, that people would, would actually come out and buy? And and I think we had a, a really great opportunity to give away all that beer through, through the years and have people give us their honest feedback. Um, you know, I used to say like, you know, don't tell me the good stuff, tell me the bad stuff, tell me what's wrong with it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, cause that's, that, that's the only way we're going to improve, right? We, we can always, you know, make the same bad beer if, if we don't know any different and, and to, to get an outside perspective, it really helped. So we started to get, you know, good feedback and then better feedback. And then, you know, we, we'd, we'd start to see the same characters come through and know that, okay, it wasn't like they just came through once, tried it, you know, took a sip, spit it out and drain poured it. 
uh, these people were actually, you know, looking for it and and wanting more of it and telling their friends, you got to get some of this. So we said, all right, maybe there's something to it. And, and, uh, and, and let's go with it. So then talk to me about how you went from that step to actually getting a brewery up and running and operational. Boy, that was the, uh, like the dark ages. Um, the worst, the, probably the hardest, <laughs> the, the hardest the part was right. Right. You know, just, just yeah, happened. That yeah. Was, yeah, sure. It just, it happens overnight. Uh, so I think that the, probably the, the, the most painful part for me personally was having to write a business plan. I'm not very good at sitting in front of a computer for, for days, just writing and writing and writing. Um, <clears throat> but we did, we, we went through it and, uh, and we wrote, um, you know, I've spoken in, I've spoken in other, other, uh, outlets of, of, about the uh, the inspirational talk I had with Peter Bissell and how he just said, you know what, if this is what you want to do, you're going to have to follow it. And, you know, here's what you kind of need to do. Um, and we did. And and from there, uh, the next thing was like, all right, so we don't have any money. So how <laughs> it actually takes money to open a brewery, too, uh, in case sure, anybody sure. was wondering. So we said, well, what, what do we want to do? You know, we didn't want to go the investor route. Uh, we wanted to kind of control our own destiny. We didn't want to be beholden to anyone. And with with four of us, it was there was enough, you know, enough chiefs, if you will. So we said, all right, let's let's see if we can talk to some banks about financing. So we first started off going the local the local bank route, and nobody really wanted to touch us. Um, so then we um, we had reached out for one of the the, the larger banks um, through CBC that um, you know focused on say breweries. Well, that was a, a that was a learning experience because they were they were like, yeah, yeah, we do breweries all the time. However, we're really not interested in startups. So mm. we they, we said, but we want to hear your story anyway. So it was good because it gave us an experience to actually have to talk to the bank, have to sell ourselves, you know, explain right. our whole business plan, ex- explain everything that we were we were thinking we were going to be able to do. So we went through the whole thing, you know, talked to them for about an hour, and, and they were like, this is great, we love it, but we can't help you. So that was like the crushing blow or the first crushing blow. They said, uh, however, we do have another bank that we know that we're friendly competitors with. And and um, although they, you know, they probably aren't at the level we're at in the sense that we're more of an expansion bank. So so you've already yeah. been an established brewery and you want to go to the next level. We're, we're the people to talk to there. You're a startup. You're a small brewery. You know, th- that's who that's who they were targeting. So they put us in touch with them. Uh, we had initial conversation with them and, and, uh, within 20 minutes they're like, yep, yeah, we love it. Let, let's do this. So, uh, that was, that was really like, wow, this is happening. So, uh, <laughs> so we did that. And then, uh, from there it's like, oh shit, we, uh, we don't have a building. <laughs> we need to find a place to actually put this brewery. We had been working with a real estate agent and he just said, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a building that, that came, uh, or property that came came available, you know, would you like to take a look at it? We said, yeah, absolutely. So we did and come to find out it was actually, it was two buildings and um, we drive up and um, it was like a front to back. And, and I, I see this back building and I see these two big garage doors in the front to roll up. And I was like, I didn't even have to look at the building at that point. I was like, this is it. Like this, I could just visualize those doors being open in the summertime and yeah. the tap room really coming outside and having that certain vibe, but you know, that dusk vibe, if you will, um, with, with, with some nice lighting and all that. And, and we just said, yeah, this, this is, this is going to be home. So, uh, so we, uh, we, we worked out a, a deal with a landlord and, um, and, uh, took, took the space, took possession. And then, uh, probably 11 months later, I think it was, uh, almost to the day we, uh, we opened. So talk to me a little bit about the space. I mean, it's, um, 
you know, it's wide open. There's, there's really a low key vibe to it. that uh, that almost feels again, compared to, you know, some of the, the flashier, more built out, uh, you know, breweries kind of feels like what craft breweries felt like, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, you know, is that an intentional thing or, uh, you know, talk to me a little bit about the, the way you've, you've envisioned that experience. For us, I mean, the, the, the whole, the whole vibe of it, I mean, Hey, listen, vitamin C, right. I mean, we started, you know, where I live is, is a little beach town and that was kind of where we had hoped our home was going to be. So, um, you know, ending up in an industrial park, I mean, there's only so much you can do, right. It's not like you can have, uh, too much flash. So. Um, we wanted, we loved the the feel of having a little bit of rusticity uh, and still having that industrial feel too, and still trying to kind of give it a little bit of a beachy feel without it being tacky. So, um, you know, we try to utilize woods where we could. We still have some nice corrugated metals and and things like that, and then just really with some different accent type stuff to 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 give it that that feel. Um, yeah, and it's nice. Yeah. It's it's all it's almost like a campus, right? We've got. Roughly twelve thousand square feet total uh, between the two buildings, and then we've got a really large outside seating area as well, which um, is a, is a is a plus because we've seen in the warmer months. I mean, really all all year round. I mean, if it's not snowing out, people are sitting out there. So you know, tap room obviously selling beer to people, giant patio, you know, big open space. I mean, that's a big part of your model. Um, but you do also package beer and uh, talk to me a little bit about how you know, given the current circumstances, how you guys have pivoted and tried to figure out how to operate and still get make beer and get beer to people. You know, in the kind of current environment. I think the biggest thing for us was, I mean, primarily all of our our uh, beer. What prior to this was was all being sold through the tap room, right? I mean, between having the the, the you know draft lines and then and then canning um, the majority of the beer. So what we did is we just said, all right, as as quickly as we could, we said, all right, well let's start um, let's start just canning everything off the big production system instead of pulling off you know 10, 15 percent whatever it was for kegs. Um, so that helped to, to uh, increase our our uh, case counts uh, and then. We said, you know, if we can, if we can continue to do this and 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 then pivot on our pilot system, which we still use, which was what really feeds the tap room too. We said, all right, well, we'll just we'll kind of shift and instead of doing the hoppy beers, because without having an end in sight, not knowing, we figured we'd start working on some bigger stouts and and lagers and some other beers that had a little bit more of a um, lifespan to them. Sure. So that way we could kind of stockpile for for when the end does come. Um, and then again, still get as many cans as we could out the door. So, um, it was a, it was certainly a shift and a a little bit different from what we were doing, but not like a complete wholesale change. Yeah. Yeah. So how now do you, uh, to process sales and uh, get people beer in this kind of no contact world? Yeah. So what we did is, so those, the roll up doors that we talked about earlier, um, those are open when we're open. Uh, and we've kind of barricaded off the front of the building that way. And we've set up multiple POS stations right there. So people walk up, we're doing touchless transactions. Um, we're still getting a little bit of a line. Uh, people have a, have a, you know, some, for some reason have a tendency to, to want to line up prior to opening. Um, it's really not necessary. <laughs> it's oh, really not man. necessary. You can't, I, I some know, behavior you just can't change. It's, it's line culture. It's line culture where oh, it's, the, people are conditioned up here. So, but you got them uh, six we, feet you know, apart. We do. We mark actually mark on the parking lot. Like we we've got X's on the on the the cement. You know, every six feet, and and we get everybody spread out, and and we're getting them in and out real real fast. So um, 
So usually within the first 15, 20 minutes, I mean, it's just, okay, onesie twosies. And, and then that's, it stays steady like that throughout the day. Um, yeah. And, and, and we're moving, we're moving, we're moving through cases, you know, and the biggest thing for us through this whole thing was, oh man, I, I hope we're able to keep everybody working. Right. And, uh, yeah. and, and knock on wood, um, we've been able to do that because the community has just been amazing. They've, uh, they've really come out in, in support and, um, and everyone's working, you know, everybody's yeah. getting their hours. So, so it's great. Well, that's a, that's a bright spot in a, in a difficult world right now. You know, obviously mm. for, for breweries everywhere, maintaining the, you know, both the safety of staff and the safety of customers and also, you know, maintaining good optics around that, you know, uh, are all important when, you know, the last thing the breweries need are photos of tons of people lined up, you know, in this kind of environment. Um, and so trying to change that kind of culture, get people to show up steadily, you know, reassuring them that not, you're not going to sell out in that first hour and you'll still have some beer for them later on it has to be part of the kind of messaging program, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, last week was kind of a weird, weird situation for us uh, on Saturday. Um, we opened the day with like 185 cases and we sold out in two hours, which was really like, that's never happened before. So that we were kind of like looking at e each other, like, uh Oh, what do we do here? And we, we had to close. I mean, we had, we didn't have any beer. Yeah. So, you know, that was a, it's, it's been a, it's been a nervous week, uh, because of that, you know, we, we truly hope that that's not the norm. Um, yeah. and that, you know, we have enough product to, to, to make it through the weekend. So, um, well, that's a, so we'll yeah, see. That's a different, that's a different <laughs> perspective on that. And you're like, how have you considered actually increasing production to, to meet this kind of takeaway demand? I mean, I think there's a question there in the back of the minds of every professional brewer right now. And that is, are people hoarding because they expect it to disappear at some point and not be able to do this? Or are they actually consuming that much and replenishing their stock? And is this a sustainable kind of production level for what we do? Because, you know, that or is it, are we selling this because other breweries aren't able to produce this at, you know, consistently? And so, you know, these consumers are going to where it is, you know, there's, there is that question in the back of the mind of everyone. How do you answer that for yourself? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I mean, uh, it, you know, it's not like we're the only ones around, right? So there's, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, I think there's 11 breweries in the, in a, this 40 mile stretch of highway that we're on. Um, so there's plenty of beer and everybody's doing takeaway. Um, and delivery I, I, and everything else. Yeah. 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 Delivery and, and online ordering, all these other, other things. I mean, we're, yeah, we're always saying, you know, do, I mean, in a crazy time like this, I mean, should we be looking at adding, you know, tanks? I mean, is that even feasible? And and I guess, you know, we've always said, hey, listen, we're, we're going to try and grow organically. We don't have to be this 10,000 or 15,000, you know, barrel brewery a year. We just, we don't have to be. I mean, yeah. you know, I've talked to, talked about it in the past. Like, I, I, I don't know how big we want to get. I know that I still want to maintain a certain quality of life. I know that family is is very, very important to me and, and having little ones at home. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm away from them enough. And it's like, I... I don't want to miss everything, you know, and, yeah. um, and, you know, and we're not, we're, it's not all about the last dollar for us. It's just not, I mean, we're not, we don't want to be huge, you know, and, and I don't, we don't need to be. Um, so sure. I, you know, I, again, going back to, to, you know, what's the right number. I don't know. I mean, is, is, is 300 cases in a weekend, uh, you know, the right number is 500 is a thousand. I don't know. I mean, I guess at some point, um, 
you know, I guess what I'll call, quote unquote, the novelty of us, maybe that'll wear off because we won't be the new thing. And and I don't know. I mean, but it's a year plus in here already and there's no signs of slowing down. It's still it's still moving right along. So um, we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. You know? yeah. It's it's scary because um, we also wonder, like, what's going to happen when the taproom is able to, to open back up? I mean, what kind of crowds will we see then? Right, right. And what you have to then do to manage the experience so people feel safe and comfortable in that environment. Sure. You know, how sure. do you manage crowds through that? Like, are you, do you need to keep groups of 10 separate from each other by a certain amount? Like, I mean, even thinking about bathrooms and every surface that anybody's going to touch in there and how you keep those clean. I mean, those are, it's a whole lot of things to, to consider. Uh, um, it, it is. And, and, you know, we've been thinking about this since the beginning. I mean, you know, if they come back and say, I mean, I, I, I personally, I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable being able to open the tap room back up right now. Cause I just don't think that we, we have a handle on everything. And, and, and it scares me. I mean, we want people to be safe and, 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 you know, not safety for us, you know, our staff, us, and, and, and for our customers as well. And yeah. you know, if they come back and say, well, you can open your tap room back up at, you know, 20% of your capacity or 50%. I mean, it's just not, I don't know. I, it, it's not worth it at that point. I'd rather just yeah. continue doing what we're doing and, you know, take a pause and, and, and know that, all right, it's, we're truly going to open back up when it's, you know, we know it's safe. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, uh, that's a fair and a cautious approach to this. Let's pivot and uh, talk about beer and uh, your approach okay. to brewing. But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Hopsteiner, your premium hop supplier dedicated to delivering quality hops and hops products in every package. Visit hopsteiner.com for a complete list of offerings or select shop hops to start ordering today. Also, Fermentus is the obvious choice for beverage fermentation. They've provided the beer industry from large and small breweries to home brewers with the best fermentation yeasts since 2003. Their yeasts are easy to use. Just pitch your Fermentus yeast directly into your wort. No rehydration necessary. To learn more about how Fermentus can improve the quality of your fermentation and for the latest on their exciting new product releases, visit Fermentus.com. So the bread and butter of what you produce, you know, Dino is a the is New England IPA. I mean, that seems to be the largest volume, and you know what consumers want to buy from you the most. It's no surprise you were right there in New England. It's you're 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 um, at ground zero for that kind of style and how it developed. Um, talk to me a little bit about your experience with that, how you've watched, um, how you got into brewing that kind of style and how you've watched it develop over the years that you've been brewing it. Um, and then we can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, where you've been going recently with that. I guess for me, it was probably having that epiphany moment of, of you know, for the very first time trying a Pliny the Elder, right? Or, or trying a Heady Topper back in the day. And it was just like, what is this? Like, I've never had a beer that tasted like this. I didn't know what this was. And, you know, I don't know if those, if, if, if Pliny was more of the kind of the gateway of, of going from West Coast to New England style, you know, in the early days. Um, I mean, I don't even know how you would categorize that beer, but it was yeah. just, it was life changing. It was life changing for me. I had the opportunity to, someone had brought some back from California and I was just like, wow. I want to make this because this is what I want to drink. Right. Yeah. And, um, and from there, I mean, you know, if you, if you go back to those early days, um, you know, making the trek up to Vermont to, to, to get Hetty Topper or to, to, to go get Lawson's beer. Uh, I mean, those are beers that were just like, just amazing. And it was just, 
I was so fascinated that that you know how, how do you how do you get beer to to, to be like this from a, from a from a mouthfeel standpoint to to just the, the way they utilized hops. Um, so that was kind of where the focus was, and and that was what we you know when we started homebrewing, we wanted to brew those types of beers, um, and um, and we did, and we just you know and and. and Thankfully, that's, you know, we weren't the only ones that felt that way as far as, you know, wanting to drink those beers. So that's that's kind of what was out there. And then between Hill Farmstead and, and you know, Treehouse, Trillium, I mean, there's so many. And then you got, you know, all the folks up in Maine. I mean, there is just so many different examples of, of great New England IPAs here. And, and um, so there certainly was a blueprint there. Um, yeah. And again, like like I said, that's what we enjoyed to, to drink. And, and that's what the public wanted. So. Uh, I mean, ideally, you know, we want to we want to give the people what they want. And I think they're yeah. all a little bit different as, as you know, it's not like it's just, oh, it's another New England IPA. I mean, I think our beers have a, a certain thing about them. And I, I think, you know, others uh, same way. Let's talk about that certain thing, um, mm-hmm. figuring out how to construct a style that feels personal and, uh, you know, in the midst of this bigger thing that consumers have expectations about is a particular challenge that brewers everywhere face. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you don't want to make the same beer as, you know, the brewery down the road from you, even if you're brewing it in the same kind of style. And, you know, honestly, no matter what you do, given the systems that you're brewing on, given your approach to ingredients and who and how you order from, you know, you're not going to make the exact same beer, but figuring out what that point of view is going to be and how you're going to create that is a challenge that every, every brewer kind of faces. Like how do you create? And so as you were thinking about this, as you, you know, I imagine this is a long period of development over many years of, of brewing and trying to find that voice. Um, talk to still, me a little bit. We're of, still trying. Yeah. <laughs> still trying to find. Talk, <laughs> still, talk, yeah, talk, really, yeah. I mean, really talk to me how you work through that, you know, and what that process looks like for you and what it did look like, you know, where you started, um, some of the things you found that you didn't like to, and you know, how you've over that time kind of sculpted this approach that is yours. I mean, I think, I think part of it is just, you know, it's like you've kind of thrown the book out of, of brewing, right. Of what we've all been taught and, you know, from almost 30 years ago, uh, you know, this, it's just brewing is different now. The beers are different. I mean, you know, at base level, brewing is the same, but uh, there's just no room for for being conservative. Um, you know, it's like let's push the limits. Like, you know, what is the what, what's too much hops, right? Like, like how do we know? You know, and 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 using them at different different times and doing different things with temperatures and you know, adding different, uh, whether it's oats or things like that. I mean, like I said, it's everything, every one of our beers is a work in progress, right? So we'll, we'll, we'll release a beer and, and people will love it. And we'll just kind of say, all right, well, this is okay. This is good. But you know, what can we do better next time? Like I, I wish it had a little bit more mouthfeel or I wish it was a little bit hazier or, uh, you know, I wish I had more, it had more of a nose to it. So there's, there's always something that we're trying to improve. Um, so it, so sure, it's unfair sure. for me to say like you know this this is where we're at because I, a year from now we could be having a different conversation and and the beer might be completely different. Are there uh, you know some ways that you brewed some of these IPAs a year ago or two years ago even at homebrew scale 
that you have moved away from because you have found better ways or ways that better is a, is not the right word for it, but ways that you like better about how to, to make those things or things that have kind of improved or tweaked some of those, uh, those uh, processes. Well, it's funny. Um, yeah, it's funny. I mean, we kind of always treated, even at the homebrew scale, like with the equipment we had, we always treated it like we were going to be, a, a you know, a professional brewery, right? Like we we, uh, we made a lot of modifications to our equipment. Um, I'm sure, you know, between Blickman and SS Brewtech, they'd probably come see our equipment now and say, boy, why didn't we think of that? Um, <laughs> like just adding, you know, adding different ports and, and different valves and things like that. Uh, we're we're yeah. fortunate. My partner, Josh, is a welder by trade. So I was like, boy, it'd be great if we could have, you know, a port to to put CO2 on this. So when we're dry hopping, we don't have to worry about any oxygen, things like that. And it's like I come in a day later and, and it's and it's installed. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the big thing for us is when you're homebrewing at the five gallon level, like, you know, you're you're uh, you're putting it in a bucket and, and you know, opening the bucket and just exposing it to oxygen when you're doing your dry hop or when you're doing right. your, your sampling and things like that. And I mean, you know, everything now is, is all closed, right? Closed transfer, closed transfers, minimizing, um, you know, any contact that, that things have, um, you know, just having more regimented procedures. Um, I think that's, that's probably the biggest thing. You know, I think water is a very, very, very important thing for us. We, we pay more attention to that. Yeah. Um, as far as treating our water. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that. Where, where did you start and uh, what did you find started making a difference in terms of water chemistry for you? Well, I think that we have, um, you know, very inherently soft water where we are uh, already, but um, you know, we, we're, we're trying to achieve a certain pH and, and uh, you know, that requires treating it a little bit. So, uh, you know, everything gets, get goes through a sand filter and, and then we add back in the, the, the things that we want to, to give it that mouthfeel. And I think that's one of the things that people uh, notice about our beer is that it typically is, is not on the thin side. It typically has a softness to it. Um, and that's the stuff that, that I've always enjoyed from other breweries is, is, is having that good mouthfeel. I just feel like a, a nice beer that has some body to it without necessarily being a boozy big beer. Um, I think it's enjoyable. Is there a you know a particular approach to those uh, you know that uh, what sulfate chloride level or um, which specific uh, uh, salts you may use in that process that you found impact that um, or you, uh, you you know there's always a you're writing a fine line with this too because there is building that kind of body and width to the uh, you know the beer using that water chemistry but it's also possible to go overboard and end up with a kind of chalky uh, unpleasant beer that you know kind of has that kind of aspirin taste to it um, how do you ride that line and uh, you know and get it right where you want it I think I think there was a lot of trial and error <laughs> to be honest with you initially uh, and, and really that even started at the homebrew level I, I, I should if I if I go back a little bit um, you know, we started playing around with, with water um, back then and, uh, you know, just, just adding in things like, you know, calcium and gypsum and, um, you know, getting to that, that level that we want. Um, you know, there's still things that we're, we're messing around with that, that I think, uh, you know, could make a change too. But it's all a work in progress. Um, it's funny because we'll talk to other breweries when we do collabs and, and they'll, they'll say, well, you know, what are you putting in? And we'll tell them and they're just kind of like, what? Like, I that's, I've never even thought of doing that much. And so, and that, I guess that goes back to, you know, I, I have a conversation the other day with someone and it's like, you know, you're putting how much, you know, in your whirlpool for hops, like we're only using like 25% of that. And they're like, oh no, this is what we do. So, so it really is give and take. And that, I guess that goes to a, a good point of us being a, a very collaborative uh, brewery 
is that we're learning a lot and we learned every time we we brew a beer um we you know we'll gain a friendship and then and also learn learn a ton about processes and and you know always try to pull one or two things that we can you know try to implement ourselves and our processes so for sure because we certainly don't you know we're not 100 percent you know, set in the way we do things. And I think that's the beauty of this industry is it's always evolving. It's always changing. Right. Yeah. So, uh, to, to keep harping on the water thing, uh, you alluded to mm. pushing mm-hmm. a lot more, um, into, into your water treatment than may be typical. Mm-hmm. Are you open to talking about, uh, you know, what those numbers look like? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's hard for me to, 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 to put it into a specific, but, um, I, I would say that our, our, uh, you know, the amount of grams that we're using of our, of say calcium chloride or, or uh, we're over a gram per gallon um, on our chlorides and, and uh, probably a half a gram per gallon on our gypsum, which uh, seems to be a good amount. So for what we're hearing, yeah. and then, you know, we're also using some can, canvan tablets as well, but, right. um, but other than that, I mean, it's pretty, pretty cut and dry. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of grist and building a, uh, a malt body for these, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. With that kind of New England style IPA, um, you know, getting that kind of full mouthfeel, um, putting a lot of you know high protein uh, malt into the beer in order to kind of create that stable haze, um, you know, but also keeping it light and allowing you know with a little that sweetness to kind of highlight some of those fruity and tropical hops characters. You know, all of those are kind of components of the malt. Um, how do you think about malt and what do you find yourself going to in, in building uh, grist recipes for IPAs? So for us, I think it, the, the biggest thing is, you know, a two-row is our backbone, right? So we always use that as our backbone of our recipes uh, when it comes to our IPAs. You know, we like to have real clean um malt bills um yeah. we use a lot of we use a lot of flaked oats um we use a lot of golden naked oats too um and okay. then we will typically use Are there some percentages uh, that you typically yeah uh i mean <laughs> yeah I, I i you know i i would say that that 15 is a good amount uh um, yeah. you could probably go higher than that um you know obviously you're, you're always have to worry about a stuck mash too but Right. Um, which has happened, which has happened to us, but you know, we've, we've done some recently where we've been as high as 30% and, uh, huh. and, and it's worked well. So, um, and then we'll use other things, like I said, golden promise or even some carapils. Um, you know, SRM is a big thing for us. We like to have that lighter color. Right. Um, we like almost more of a, a yellowy grapefruity type color as opposed to that darker orange. Uh, but that's just personal preference. It's just the way we like our beer to look. It's, you know, people have grown accustomed to seeing that. And that's kind of what we we have a feel for. Uh, do you talk about what, you know, yeast or do you use a single yeast strain for these beers? Do you play around with uh, uh, mixed pitches? Do you um, switch it up from brand to brand? Uh, you know, what's that kind of yeast approach? And then we can start talking a little bit about biotransformation and whatnot after that. So we uh, we're still at the point where we're just we're fresh pitching. Uh, we just not have not had the time to to start harvesting and, and going through that whole process. It's something that we will be doing at some point down the road, but right, for now right. it's just it's fresh fishing. Um, and you know we, we use a variation of a London ale, uh, London three, uh, yeah. and that seems to work well with us. Um, but we you know we've used others. I mean you know we've used some 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 dry yeast that we've we've had success with too in the past. And I think when we first started we were you know we were using a, a Conan strain that that seemed to work real well for us too. So, uh, but we've, we've really settled on the, uh, that, uh, that London three strain that, uh, that 
really seems to work well with our beers. So, what do you like about it? I don't know. I mean, it just the, the just the, it, it flocks nice, and and it just it's a it's a it's a workhorse, you know. Um, yeah. And for our for our range, I mean, we just it's it's tried and true. So for us, not having to worry about you know having the haze drop out. That's been a big thing for us. I mean, we we know that we're we're going to have a safe pitch, and and it's it's one less thing that we have to worry about. Let's talk a little bit about uh, that kind of dry hopping process. Then mm-hmm. you know, obviously, mm-hmm. a lot of breweries are are you know throwing in mid fermentation dry hopping these days, and uh, you know, and seeing a difference you know, that they can define in a sensory kind of way. You know, for you guys, what does that process look like? Obviously, if you're not repitching your yeast, and if you're doing fresh pitches every time, then the concerns around being able to harvest, you know, aren't really there. You have whatever option you want uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what do you, how do you find yourself typically doing it? Uh, so we, we pretty much will, um, we'll do our dry hopping once, uh, once we hit terminal. Um, you know, we have done some. Old some school pitches. style. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have done some where we, uh, where we'll dry hop at high horizon, but um, that's been more of just doing some testing yeah. type stuff. So nothing that we've, 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 you know, um, we've decided to implement, you know, on a full-time basis, but, uh, right. yeah. So, so at, uh, at terminal, we'll do our dry hop and, uh, we'll typically do a, a four day dry hop. That seems to work well for us. Yeah. Um, you know, we, Temperatures? we we're com- you- we'll, uh, pretty much dry hop at like 55 degrees. Okay. Uh, and we'll keep it there for, like I said, about four Why days. Why so cold? And, uh, um, it just seems to be work. It just seems to work well for us. It's just, again, some things that we've picked up, uh, through the years, still bits and pieces, uh, from our elders. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, sure, sure. <laughs> that's, that's as far as I can get into it without, uh, with, <laughs> without losing some, uh, some key resources. So, uh, <laughs> which are very, very important to us, but, um, okay. but it's, it seems to work well. Um, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll crash and, and, and dump and and uh, and transfer and and carb and we're good to go. I want to talk to you about hops, you know, specifically. But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Brewers Publications, publishers of Small Brewery Finance by Maria Pearman, How to Brew by John Palmer, and the forthcoming, actually now available, Historical Brewing Techniques by Lar- Lars Marius Garshall. Established in 1986, Brewers Publications has published more than 50 books of enduring value for amateur and professional brewers alike. Visit brewerspublications.com today to browse the complete catalog of books and ebooks. Also, Craft Beer and Brewing's all access subscriptions give you a year of the print and digital editions of the magazine, plus access to our library of video courses, a special deep dive email only for all access subscribers, premium content, and all access exclusive merchandise. Go to beerandbrewing.com and click on the subscribe button to join now. When it comes to specific hops varieties, obviously these are, you know, major kind of, uh, kind of constructive element that all brewers are considering as they're making these styles of hazy IPAs. Um, you know, everyone's using a lot of the same ingredients. They're using similar hop varieties, you know, trying to, uh, you know, build something that still, uh, yeah, has a, a flavor that you enjoy that is somewhat different than other people using the same kind of ingredients as its own challenge. Talk to me a little bit about how, um, you, what your, uh, evaluative process looks like around hops varieties, how you envision making blends of these things, um, how you kind of 
check on the back end to see if what you thought it was going to be, you know, came out the way that you expected it to. And then what that kind of iterative process along the way looks like, uh, um, you know, if things in the tank aren't tasting exactly the way you want it, you know, how you might be able to kind of tweak midstream and, uh, and get things where you want to go. Yeah. I mean, I think this goes back to, to, you know, being fortunate enough to have the pilot system that we do have, um, it's a lot easier and, and although painful, it's a lot easier to, to have to dump a one barrel batch as opposed to a 10 barrel batch. Um, sure. I don't think, I don't think there's enough time in the day to, to, to try all the hop combinations that I'd like to try. I'm a, I'm a hop junkie when it comes to that stuff. Um, you know, we're always looking for experimentals. We're always looking at different combinations, different, different ratios, uh, just to see what kind of nuances that might create in this, the different beers. Um, but like I said, we, we, we're able to try different things because we have that pilot system and we can turn these beers around in two weeks on a pilot system and not have to wait, you know, the full three to four that we would on our large system. And what we'll do is we'll test, you know, different combinations, uh, try them out. And, you know, back prior to the pandemic, we were able to, to put those on tap in our tap room and really get a lot of live yeah. feedback from people as to, you know, whether they liked it or whether they didn't. And, you know, that's where, um, things like untapped were useful for us because, you know, we could see what, what kind of feedback we'd be getting on these different types of beers. And, um, you know, listen, we're, 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 everybody loves Citra, everybody loves Galaxy and, 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 you know, so do we. And, and those are found on a lot of our beers, but there's, there's so many other options and so many other different, different hops that are out there that we would love to try and implement. You know, everybody's looking for the next thing, right. And that includes us. So, um, we're, <laughs> we're, we're certainly not slowing down, uh, anytime with that. Um, I'm always in the hunt for, for something new and, and, you know, I'm a sucker for tropical fruits and citrus. When I see that, it's like, all right, right. we got to try this, you know? Um, how often do you, were you brewing on the pilot system for these kinds of beers? Uh, we're brewing like six days a week, actually, um, and we're on still doing it. System? So six days yeah, a week on yeah. the pilot system. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We got we got like a farm of of, of small tanks. Um, Are you crazy? It's, it, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> no, it's it's fun though. People come in like we'll do collabs, and people come here and they're just like they have envy. They have pilot pilot system envy. Um, everybody's like, I gotta okay. get one of these, you know, because it, because it's true. I mean, we could you know we could brew six different beers in one week, and and maybe it's the same the same grain bill but but you know maybe we've got six different hop combinations if that's the route we want to go or if we're doing fruiteds yeah. or if we're doing you know pastry stouts with different adjuncts i mean it's great i mean you know if if we have the opportunity to to uh you know to even just brew a, a big batch on our big system and then split it into you know four or five or six tanks and and do it that way um not as often as we'd like to, you know we're able to do that right. because it seems like we're 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 always doing different beers so listen we're we're you know we've we've probably been accused of being a one trick pony and that that's all they do is make IPAs but we do other things you know um you know we we brew lagers we you know we brew cream ales um we're we're doing different things porters or you know like i said right. fruited sours you know so it's um, it's fun to be able to do that and and not have to. I, I I can I know I can sell thirty barrels of of one of our hazy IPAs. I don't know that I can sell thirty barrels of one of our cream ales. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, sure, sure. You, you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Until until that becomes the next big thing. Uh, so so it's um, it gives us that flexibility. 
a minute ago, you talked about seeking out new uh, hops varieties. Are there any in particular, you know, again, without blowing up your own supply uh, <laughs> potential for these uh, that you've, uh, and I know, I mean, everyone, they want to keep the secrets and I get it, you know, um, but you're going to put it on a label at some point anyway. So we're all going to know, um, you know, and it's going to be in your untapped description, I would assume also, because it's, you know, there's that marketing element to it too. Um, are there specific uh, hops or combinations that, you've found really attractive lately, especially, you know, and I think one of the interesting things in talking to brewers that I've found is just how many are finding ways of using older or less expensive or more common hops in some new and innovative ways. Um, you know, from your perspective, what are some of the kind of directions that you've gone with hops that, you, you know, you found are, are pretty interesting these days? Yeah, it's funny. Like for us, I mean, we use a lot of the sea hops, right? So we're bringing yeah. back the, the Columbus and the Cascades and Comets and Tennial, you know, hops like that, that, you know, 10 years ago, you know, or, or you'd find them in those West Coast IPAs, and 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 here we are. We're we're doing them, and we're using those hops in our whirlpool and in our dry hop, and and we're getting yeah. some real you know fun dank beers, and people are loving them, and and it's it's funny because in you, we're we're pretty forthcoming with the hops that we use, and you know in our descriptions, we're it's there's real no it's, there's no secret, there's no hops that, that sure. somebody else is getting sure. that that we're not getting, and vice versa. And the, the the nice thing is that they're they're readily available, right? They're they're hops right. that you can get. They're they're not you know overly expensive i mean we're able to contract you know pretty much all the varieties that we need there are a few that we sure. haven't yet but 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 we're working on it and so we're always looking for different things um you know citra like i said makes a makes a, a is a, is probably the, the hops that you'll see most in our recipes yeah um but it, but it's a good pairing hop right there's there's so we'll we'll, we'll try and, and use that as as the baseline hop and then and then kind of accent with with a few uh, supporting hops in, in a lot of our recipes um you know bru1 hops are, are a fun one um for us a um you know a, a typical hopped beer between um between say whirlpooling and 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 dry hopping is you know say six to eight pounds per barrel roughly so um you know a lot of them are 50 into 50 what kind of, uh, into what kind of abv beer are we talking here uh anywhere from say six to eight that's kind of our sweet spot okay for our okay. hoppy beers you know but um, you know, we still we still mess around with like you know what's the right amount. I mean, is is you know a four pound dry hop enough, or are you going to get more if you do a six pound dry hop? Uh, are you going to get more if you do an eight or a ten pound dry hop? Like, what are you actually getting out of it versus you know the money that you're right. putting into it? You know, what's the return on that? So no, and there have um, been you know there's certainly the studies out there that uh, you know show that there is a, um, a declining utility after a certain point where uh, in fact it can actually um, the additional uh, uh, oils and uh, matter from that extra dry hopping can actually have a negative effect and, uh, you know, decrease right. the impact of those things. But, um, you know, I, and I interrupted you before talking about building a base of, uh, um, of Citra and then adding things on top of it. What are those kinds of, uh, you know, percentages tended to look like, especially with some of the more classic hops? I mean, I guess, you know, a typical recipe might be a 50-50 split of citra and say one other hop or maybe 50% citra and then 25 and yeah. 25. And there's others where we'll have a, say, a 75%. And I'm using citra as just as an example. Um, right. You know, it could be, it could be Galaxy, it could be Nelson, it could be whatever. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, that so we, we're, we're not ones to really throw five or six different hops into it. Because I, I, at that point with such low percentages, I don't know that you're, you're actually getting – 
you know, 5% of, of uh, I don't know, whatever, pick hop, you know, I, sure, I don't know that you're actually sure. pulling that, you know, right, you're, you're, right. you're getting, you know, 5% of Equinot hops, um, you know, it's really coming through in the, you know, when you, when you taste it. I, I, so it, right. I, we try to keep things simple. Uh, we don't want to overcomplicate complicate things. Um, so, but we have other beers, you know, this, we have, you know, we've got a, a beer that we've got like 10 different hops in. I mean, and it's just, you know, it, it, it was more of it, it coincided with what we wanted to do. We wanted to have fun with it and it, and it works well. You know, I couldn't tell sure. you that I'm, I'm getting, like I said, that I'm getting all 10 hops out of it, but uh, it was a fun <laughs> beer to make. And, you know, and it's, it's, it's beer. It, it's supposed to be fun, right? Like we don't want to right. take ourselves too, too serious. No, and for every rule, you're going to find a way to break it, uh, you know, just sure. to, to see if, see if that rule still holds. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any uh, specific classic hop and new school hop combinations that you personally, uh, you know, get a real kick out of? I think, you know, I, I mean, again, for us, I mean, you know, for the styles that we, that we're, that are pretty prevalent that we're doing, um, you know, we love using, we love using Columbus, you know, we just love that, that, that in your face, um, you know, characteristic that it has. And, and, and when we dry up with that, it's, it's funny because it's just, it, it smells like weed. I mean, it really, it's just like, wow, this is pungent. Um, but, you know, it, it's, um, I, I'd like to probably, you know, try to experiment with some other, some other stuff at some point, once we, we get some time, if that ever happens and, you know, maybe start looking at some more of the, you know, noble hops and see what we can do with that. What kind of fun we can have with those, you know, some European hops. Let's pivot a moment. And, uh, you know, before we, uh, we, you know, close out here and talk about uh, your approach to stouts, obviously pastry stouts and flavor forward kind of culinary inspired dessert inspired inspired stouts are uh, very hot right now. And you guys have, uh, you know, definitely jumped into that, making this style of beer. Um, obviously they can sit longer in tanks and, uh, you know, people still love them. And I mean, I've certainly in this kind of environment, people want to treat themselves with, uh, you know, with fun stuff. I know, I don't know about you, but I've put on a few pounds through sitting at home for the last six weeks. Um, oh, man, I don't even want, I don't even want to talk about it. It's, it's awful. I know. It's awful. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> talk, to, talk to me a little bit. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about how, um, uh, you know, again, you kind of mark out your own territory with, you know, in this kind of world of, uh, sweet culinary dessert flavored stouts. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like, well, how crazy can you get with, with, with pastry stouts, right? Like what's the craziest things that you can put in there and maintain balance and, and have that sweetness without it being too cloying. But, um, you know, I, I, I would say for us, um, you know, we're using a lot of the same, same resources, whether it's, it's coffee or marshmallow or, or different types of cacao or, you know, dessert items. I mean, um, a, a lot of our pastry stouts are, are nut based, um, you know, whether it's almonds, you know, roasted almonds or walnuts or um, you name it, peanuts. I mean, um, we've, we've done some fun things with, with uh, stroop waffles yeah. and with uh, you well, know. So why, why nuts? Why, uh, you know, specifically on that, obviously there's, there's an oil component and a bit of a, um, you know, I mean, they add their own thing in addition to just flavors, you know, from your perspective, why do you find yourself gravitating towards nuts as often? Uh, I don't know if I'd say balance or maybe just to kind of give you that perception of a nuttiness or a roastiness that, that, that seems to work well with chocolate and, and, and other items. Um, 
you know, we did we did a beer recently with uh, with roasted almonds and and uh, in Biscoff cookies. You know, as a former frequent flyer sure. for Delta Delta Airlines, it's it was uh, you know like, hey, I mean, never, has anybody done this? You know, well, no, nobody has. So let's let's give it a shot. You know, and and it and it and it it worked well. What is uh, what's your process for using nuts look like? How do you maximize? I mean, they're nuts are an expensive ingredient to use in beer. Tell maximizing extraction out of them is a pretty important thing for brewers. What have you found that works well now? And, you know, also oil in nuts has its own negative effects on beer and beer foam, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, know. we, we find with head retention is, is the, is the biggest problem. Um, yeah. you know, we'll, we, we use real nuts. We, we try to stay away from the powders. Um, you know, we'll, we'll order them, you know, big poundage of them uh, online. Yeah. Um, you know, and our, our, We've got a ten-barrel brew house, and and we typically will do twenty to thirty-barrel batches. So for something like a thirty-barrel batch, um, it's not uncommon for us to use around a hundred pounds of of whatever the particular nut might be, whether it's a you know a, a roasted almond or walnut. Um, and those are you know the, the, we we will try and buy them roasted. Um, I, one of these days, I'll invest in something to uh, to, to toast ourselves, but um, yeah. we just you know. We'll get to it. <laughs> sure, I need more. Ta- sure. I need more tanks before I need more toys at this point. So right, right. <laughs> you know, you uh, so you buy them roasted, and, uh, and yeah. what does that addition process look like for you? Uh, it's a it's a fun Saturday afternoon, typically of of uh, of hanging a bag uh, <laughs> in our fermenter and and you okay. know, with, with a, ba- a balancing act of of uh, of trying to add those to the secondary fermentation so uh okay. but yeah we we uh that's that's typically how we do it is 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 in secondary when it comes to are there any, and in a bag too are there any um mm-hmm. you know kind of uh, uh approaches or tricks you use to kind of help um aid extraction through that process uh we would make sure that the the, the nuts have been chopped or, or or crushed um yeah just to just so that way you're getting the best absorption um you know obviously you want to sanitize the bag um, right. Before yeah. you hang it, you know, you want to make sure you got CO2 on and, 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 you know, get yourself a nice blanket before you, you add that in for, uh, you know, for vitamin C, obviously the future right now, we're all kind of wondering where things are going to go. And this, you know, in, in the next one month, three months, kind of six month time frame, um, what do you, what do you look at as the immediate future for what you're, what you're doing, you know, how you're looking at brewing, how you're putting beers on the, on the, the brew schedule. Um, and, uh, you know, what are, what are the next big long-term moves, you know, that are still kind of sitting there in the back of your head for vitamin C? So I think for us, like, you know, we always say like, and it'd probably be a, a, um, you know, a, a benchmark, if you will, it'd be is to, to be able to offer, say a mixed case for people when they come in. Right. So that they, yeah. so that would mean say, say three releases in a weekend. Um, you know, and I, I, that will require, you know, a couple more tanks on our end, which, you know, we're looking at right now. So uh, I could yeah. be sooner than, sooner than, than later. Um, but I, I think that you know, at that point, you know, that, that's a good, a, a good starting point for us to say, okay, you know, what's next after that? Um, you know, again, right. we were only open three days a week prior to this, to the pandemic. So, um, you know, does it mean we go to five days a week at some point? Does it mean we go to seven days a week? I don't know. I mean, what, what, what can the market bear and, and what can, you know, how often do people want to come out? Um, you know, we have a, a, a really uh, large local business during the weeknights uh, where, you know, we're not typically releasing cans and people could just come in and 
and uh, and hang out and have a beer or two. And and you know, it's the it's the husband and wife or the coworkers, and um, and it's a nice vibe on on Thursday nights and Fridays. I don't know what the summer will bring because it's going to be a new thing for us being open a week on the weeknights and with the nicer weather right. and having the outside area, we could get slammed. I mean. Uh, we'll see what happens. Obviously, it's it's going to require us getting back to normal, quote unquote. Um, you know, I, I, I think the biggest thing for us is to try to continue to increase production, but at a rate where we're not sitting on beer, where we're not saying, all right, what are we going to do with this? You know, our, our model is that we don't want to sell our cans in retail. And you know, we want everything. Sure. We want to be able to, to, to control the freshness and, and maintain the, uh, you know, the that, that level of of product quality that we have um, and not have to worry about it. Um, so what does that mean? I don't know. Like, again, going back to, you know, what, how many cases is that, you know, can, what, what can we bear? What can the market bear here? And I don't, I don't know that we know that yet. So we're, that's why if we can come full circle um, again, we want to try and, and grow organically and, and, and see what, let the market tell us what it, what it is, is willing to accept and, and, uh, and, and purchase. So what does success look like for vitamin C? When will you know that you've achieved uh, it? I don't know. I, I, I joke. I mean, success for me is, is being a dad, I think, um, regardless of what yeah. happens in business. I, I feel like I'm successful. You know, I've got a great family, beautiful children, a beautiful wife that's that could not be more supportive. Uh, we've got a, surrounded by great, amazing people. I mean, we're really one big happy family here and everyone is just so engaged and so you know, such a shared vision. Uh, we're blessed. Uh, and I, I don't know, you know, if we, and, and I guess that's part of the whole hesitation of getting too big, right. Um, to the point where you've got hundreds of employees and, you know, I think you lose some of that. And, and we worry yeah. about that because we, we really, we don't want to lose who we are. We really, we care so much about the quality of our product and making sure that, you know, every batch is better than the last. Um, so, so I think success would be uh, from a business standpoint is, you know, continuing to do what we're doing, um, seeing happy faces here and, and, uh, you know, always improving the quality of the product, you know, and making every batch better, um, and, and staying true to ourselves. I think, I think that would probably be success. Yeah. Well, cheers to that. Nearly 2,000 breweries across the U.S., Canada, and Mexico partner with G&D Chillers. Old Orchard are the industry's juice blending experts. Hopsteiner is your premium supplier for quality hops and hops products. Fermentist yeasts are the obvious choice. Brewers Publications has published more than 50 books for amateur and pro brewers. And Craft Beer and Brewing's all-access subscriptions are the best way to support this very podcast. Um, Dino, if people want to learn more about vitamin C, uh, where do they find you guys? So I would say we're probably the most active on Instagram and Facebook. Um, our webpage is pretty rudimentary at this point. Yeah. It's, a, it's a work in progress. We're, we're looking at getting that yeah. updated. Uh, I don't even think it's got the correct hours on there right now, but uh, very active, like I said, uh, through social media, uh, you know, through this whole pandemic, we've been doing these Wednesday night Instagram live, like virtual shares, which are fun. Uh, nice. And I'll get on with, with some, some of our friends from other half equilibrium and some other breweries. Uh, and, and we all, you know, we'll sit and, and chew the fat for a few hours and, uh, and pretty much, you know, pick on each other and, and drink some great <laughs> beers and we'll take questions. Sure, and sure. yeah, so that's, that, those have been fun and they've been pretty educational and uh, I think people have really enjoyed those. So, you know, things like that. Um, and, yeah. uh, and hopefully at some point just be able to get back to seeing everybody live in, in our tap room. I can't wait for that moment. Yeah. Dino Fanari, Vitamin C Brewing. Thanks, uh, Vitamin C Brewing. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Yeah, cheers. This 
This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrewing.